Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. But we are right now in the middle of a series called I Don't Like That. I Don't Like That. And um, a few weeks ago, you guys voted um, and you chose four out of seven statements for us to cover this year, uh, for, uh, to cover over this month. And today I get to talk about this statement, if God is God, then why doesn't he demonstrate it in a way I can see? If God is God, then why doesn't he demonstrate it in a way that I can see? I grew up in a Christian home, and um, I never questioned God's existence. It makes sense. It really did make sense for me. And I'm a stubborn kind of a fella, and so <laughs> growing up in Singapore, the uh, majority of people are Buddhist, and, uh, and uh, all of these different religions, um, um, that I guess in a sense we enjoy in Singapore, that, that sense of uh, multiculturalism. But God was always God to me. And, and he made sense, and I never wavered in that. Until, until I hit a point in my, uh, in my life where I got into a bit of a, a dark space emotionally. Uh, I experienced something that really hurt me at a deep level. And up to that point, God always made sense. Until it didn't. God always loved me until I felt like he didn't. God had always protected me until he didn't. And so I got through a space, a, a phase in my life where I needed to, to almost take a step back from everything that I thought that I believed in order to examine, is this something that I can really believe in? And a part of that searching phase was this question, if God is God, then why doesn't he do something to let me know that he is still on my side? Why doesn't he do something to let me know that he is truly for me? Why doesn't he do something to let me know that he loves me? Anyone ever asked that question before? Anyone ever gone to a bit of a dark phase of your life where you're like, oh my gosh, here's the bad news. I know there's not a right way to start a message by giving you bad news. But here's the bad news. All of us will hit a point in our lives where we have to ask this question. I reckon it's something that is, is it's healthy for us to, ask, to have to ask this question. We, we have to actually understand what is it that I believe about God. Is he actually at work? Is he alive? Is he real? And then I'm also expecting that this morning that there are some people that haven't had my experience of growing up in a Christian family and all the Christian values and, and all the teaching that I received. And honestly, being in the town of Big Park, a lot of people don't even know the story of uh, um, Noah and the Ark. I never say Jonah and the Ark. And I was going to say Noah and the Ark. No one knows that story. town of Big Park. <laughs> you know, these uh, um, famous, you know, ultra-famous Bible stories that you go 10, 15 years ago, everyone in Australia knows them, but they're hitting a phase where that's not the case anymore. And if you don't know those stories, that's totally cool. Hopefully at some point over the next um, few months, we will cover some of those stories. Or even better, get yourself a Bible, read through it. Those stories <laughs> are amazing. Um, but I'm expecting that some of you might not actually have um, ever had a faith in Jesus. And... Um, that you're here this morning and there's a bit of a curiosity maybe and you're not ready to fully commit your life to God because for you maybe it is a sense of I want to know whether I can truly trust this God 
and you're in a place of examining the, uh, the evidence for yourself, and, and can I say something to you? I like you. Thank you. I really do. Because <laughs> I think that when you finally make your decision, you will be committed. You're not going to be one of those flaky people that tell me that they love God, but they really don't. You're not going to be one of those Christians that say that they're Christians, but um, in terms of where God is in their life, it's, it's like it doesn't matter. But for you, for you, it's kind of like, if there really is a God, and he really is real, then I better get my act together. I better actually think and see and understand what he wants from me, because he is God. And so I really like you. And I do hope that over your time with us, that you'll be able to make a, a proper decision. And uh, just a little hint, um, there's nothing in life that is without doubt. Nothing in life that is truly, fully without doubt, because doubt is a construct of our mind. We can think whatever we want to think. If I wanted to, I could doubt whether they really love me or not. I can, because it's available to me. In my mind, I can imagine, I can imagine that why would she want to stick with me, you know? I'm the one that's touching above my, 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 above my weight, and, and they could see some other Asian guy who's got more hair than I do, more Asian accent than I do, a bit smarter, a bit richer, a bit more of a doctor, as all Asians tend to work out. And, um, she'll go, yeah, maybe I'll get an upgrade. It's available to me. No, not a truth, but doubt can still be there. And so, just a little hint, don't wait to the point of no doubt, wait to the point of, I think there's enough for me to take a step. And then, I'm being honest, wait till you have enough, but don't wait till it's completely laid out for you. It's gonna be too late by then. But anyway, I hope that today's message is gonna help you unpack this, um, about who this God is, and can I trust him? Is he really real? And, uh, and there's a whole part of this message that uh, we could dive into whether there even is a God or not. And we don't have time to cover that. I'm hoping to write a blog post about that. It will be available on our website this week. But I just want to read one um, verse for you in, in um, just to, to cover that aspect. In Romans 1 verse 20 it says, For God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. Who is without excuse? Us. Human beings. We are without excuse. Why? Because we can see the Creator's fingerprints in the Creator. We can see that God is a God of order, a God of design, a God of great beauty, a God of great wisdom, through the things that he has created on earth. Look at the intricacy of our weather patterns. How something so small can actually knock a whole bunch of stuff off according to the meteorologists or whatever they're called, but we still exist. There's still enough air. There's still, you know, God has his systems in play that allow us to live. And then we look at animals and we've got a little cat and it is the most amazing creation known to mankind. We don't have babies because we've got a cat. It's good enough for us, you know. It's amazing. Um, and, and we see, like, like, one of the things this morning, right, like, we were getting ready to come to, uh, to come here, and because we won't be home for lunch, so we don't get to feed him lunch. So we put out this bowl of food so that Mowgli doesn't die. Um, and literally, he was in our room, and he was, like, having a nap. The moment I poured the biscuits out into his bowl, like, we're in the kitchen all the time. My house is not like the kitchen is on the other side of the house. We're in the kitchen all the time. 
just gets out. He came running out. But how does this work? He, he knew that there was going to be food for him. It was this design that allows him to survive. But then when you look at human beings, right? How amazing are we? Seriously. How amazing. We haven't even been able to scratch the surface of this concept called consciousness. Why are we conscious? Why do we have morals? Why do we have ethics? Why do we understand that there is supposed to be standards of right and wrong, of things that we are supposed to do and not do? Could it have come from evolution? I don't know. I don't see any fish forming government. They have schools, but they don't have government. <laughs> And we we don't see that, but somehow humanity has this ability to think, ability to reason. Why? Because we have a God who reasons. We have a God who understands. We have a God of knowledge. We have a God of logic. He's God. He is designers and put these things in us. Our morality has no anchor if there is no God. What is right and what is wrong? Well, whatever suits you. And that's kind of where our world seems to be heading towards. Whatever suits you is good enough. But in the midst of that, our, our government has been thrown in chaos. It doesn't work anymore because everyone is serving their own purposes. And our society is falling apart at the seams because no one's really looking out for anyone else because the morality is based on themselves. That is a picture of what is to come if there's no God and there's no anchor for our morality or our ethics. It must be something higher. There must be a God. God's invisible attributes are seen in his creator. That is something that I think we need to spend a little bit of time thinking about. And so that goes the whole idea that there is a God. And like I said, I'll be talking blog about that this week. Um, but then there is a question of like, which God then? If there is a God, which God is the right God to follow? And um, that's next week's topic. Little cheeky plug. Next week, we'll be talking about the question, how can Christians be so close-minded and say that Jesus is the only way? Now, that was the second most popular topic that you guys voted for. And I'm really interested to dive into that and to get that ready for you next week. I don't want to steal any thunder. So next week, we're talking about why Jesus is the only way. And so I'm just going to jump over that whole thing, not because I don't care, but because we'll talk about it next week. But today I want to talk about a guy named John the Baptist. John the Baptist was Jesus' older cousin. And um, John the Baptist was a crazy man. He, he lived in the desert. And he wore camel skin. He ate honey straight out of trees. He, he was a wild man. He was like a man's man. He was like Bear Grylls before the Bear Grylls. He was from like T-Rex Grylls. He was ancient. He lived it. He did it. And, and he was amazing. And what, what he did was that he started to preach. And he started to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is coming near. And he, he, he in particular, was focusing towards Jesus starting his public ministry. And so, uh, as the Bible says, John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus. And he was adamant that this was what was to be. This was what was prophesied. Jesus is the Messiah. The Messiah was someone that was really important. In, in all of uh, uh, Hebrew, uh, um, uh, the Old Testament, you can read through it. There was this sense that everyone was looking forward towards this Savior who was supposed to come. 
and, and, and the God of promise that was going to usher in the kingdom of heaven on earth. It was this amazing time. And John the Baptist, remember, he's an older cousin. How many people have older cousins who look to you and say, man, you're something really special? Probably none, right? Because older cousins are older cousins. I'm the oldest one. I'm the one. But John the Baptist is different. He looked at Jesus and he said, I know you are the one. And I'm supposed to prepare the way for you. And John the Baptist, he believed so much that Jesus was the one that he was willing to go to jail for Jesus. For preaching that Jesus is the Messiah. He got thrown into jail. Not only was he thrown into jail, he was at peril of having his head chopped off. He knew that this was a death sentence to continue to say that Jesus is the Messiah. That's where he was at. And he was willing to do that. Pretty crazy that there was a man that was willing to say that guy is the Messiah. Now, on this side of history, we know the things that Jesus has done. We know how Jesus died on the cross, rose the third day, and, and, and washed away our sin and, and, and fulfilled so many people. For all of the law and the, the Old Testament in order that we could have this relationship with God. We have that, but John didn't. But yet he was still convinced in his heart and his spirit, so much so that he's willing to die for Jesus. Until he wasn't. Until he wasn't. There was this time. You can read in Luke 7, verse 20 to 23, that John was in prison. He didn't know what was going to happen to him. And suddenly... That conviction just evaporated. Gone. With his breakfast. Gone. He was just like, he was sitting there and he was like, what am I doing? It is John the Baptist. A crazy guy. A guy who had an unshakable conviction, willing to die for Jesus. And suddenly he was like, I'm not willing to die for this guy. He sent his disciples. And when the men came to Jesus, he said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the dead hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Perhaps if we were a little bit more blunt, the Bible was a bit more blunt about it, John might have said, you are not what I thought you would be. If you really are God, why don't you keep it? The guy was willing to die for this guy. Something about, are you? You're not doing what I thought you would do. Why don't you demonstrate your godness, your messiahness? If John could have doubt, any of us could have doubt. Jesus actually said soon after the exchange that John is the greatest man, the greatest of all men who has ever lived to that point. He's the greatest man in Jewish history. He was having severe doubts about whether he should expect Jesus to be the Messiah or whether it should be someone else. Kind of crazy, but 
If we look at the Jesus answer, it's, it's not nice. If Jesus is really all about a lot of things, should Jesus have gone like, mate, you've done a great job, I'm the one. You yeah, have a pot of gold on me. A pillow for your prison. Let me break you out. Yeah, let, let's, let's go. I'm God. You don't have to doubt. Right, that's the picture of God that we get. That God just does what we need him to do whenever we want him to. But Jesus didn't do that. He simply said, the blind see, the, the lame walk, the leprous are cleansed, the dead are raised, good news is preached to the poor. And then he says, blessed are those who do not stumble on account of me. What does that mean? It means I'm going to upset you. It means I'm not what you expect. It means the things that I do, I'm not going to always be in alignment with your expectations. So sometimes you are going to hate me. Sometimes you're going to dislike me. Sometimes you're going to think that I have wasted your time and your life. Sometimes you are going to stumble. If we look at what he chose to pull out, maybe we can get a better understanding of this. He said all of these people were receiving some kind of miracle. But if you look at the category of people they were, they were the disabled. They were the cast aside. They were the rejects of society. So what if the poor receive the gospel? They are useless for any kind of revolution. And that's what a lot of the Jewish people were anticipating. The Messiah would come, start a revolution that would throw off the Roman oppression and start up this new kingdom that would be with Jesus as the king. But Jesus wasn't going to the influential people. Jesus was going to the down and outers, the, the, the riffraff, if you will, the ones who just line the streets with no home, no, 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 no finances, no strength, nothing to offer. And Jesus was going around and saying, look at all of this. And you know what he was telling John? He said, John, you are looking for miracles in this sphere. And because you are looking for miracles in this sphere, you have forgotten to see the miracles that I have in doing. You asked me to demonstrate my deity and my messiahship, and you're looking at this area for confirmation that I'm God, but I'm saying, look over here. And I'm wondering whether for some of us asking this question, we're looking for miracles in our life, and we're looking over here. We're saying, why hasn't God done anything about this? Why hasn't God touched this area? Why hasn't God brought breakthrough in this area? I've been looking for healing for tens of years, a decade, maybe most of my life, and nothing is happening. And God is saying, well, look at what I'm doing. I've been doing this. I've been doing this. I've been doing this. The fact that you are still alive means something. But because you are so focused on that, you fail to see what God is doing. Blessed are those who do not stumble on account of me. This is something that we have to understand, that God's ways are higher than my ways. If we say that God is God, then maybe we need to understand that God is way bigger than me. Maybe we need to understand that I can't fully understand God. If God lived according to your expectation, isn't God just thinking like a human being? If God simply fulfilled only your expectations every time you wanted it to, then aren't you God and isn't he just like you? But if God is God, then doesn't he have the right?
get to choose who receives healing right now. Doesn't he get to look after the ones that he's looking after in a particular way? Like somehow we get this sense of like if God put it to someone else, maybe he's possibly their God. Like expect God to pass our tests? Why do we expect God to pass our tests? Last time I checked, the one who is God should be the one putting a whole bunch of tests out to see whether the followers are right. I don't go to school as a student and say, teachers, you do my test. I don't want you, my teacher, to pass my test. If you're in the school, you're the one to make down Somehow we have this way of working with God where it's like, God, you don't pass my test. I'm going to find somewhere else. I'm going to look somewhere else. Is there someone else I should be looking towards? Oh my gosh, why? Why are we confused ourselves? If God is God, then maybe we're the ones who, be, who should be sitting the test. Little spoiler there, right? God passed the test that we were meant to pass. So that we already passed the test. We'll talk about that in just a little moment. But God doesn't expect us to pass any more tests, but somehow we're in a space where we're still saying, God, why don't you demonstrate your Why don't you demonstrate your Godship to me? Why don't you demonstrate your power to me? Because I don't know if I can believe. It's, a, it's kind of a funny thing talking to a God that he doesn't even believe in. It's like somehow we get this crazy idea when I'm in the dark place, oh God, please help. It's like any time else, it's like, no, I've got it under control. I'll be my own God. God flights in and out of our lives like he's a FIFO worker. <laughs> <laughs> Only when there's enough work for him to do. Oh, okay, I'll, I'll let you back in. It's like, I've paid you. I've done my ties thing. I'll go away and let me do my own clock. Crazy. We, 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 get it, we get it backwards. I want to read to you a passage from 2 Corinthians 4, 4 to 6. It says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God has said, let light shine out of darkness, let his light shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. The God of this age blinded the mind of unbelievers. We don't have time to give this a full reading. Um, but the God of this age, easiest way to talk about it is culture. At some level, God uses, uh, the God of this age, he's just called Satan, <coughs> uses culture to blind us. Let me put it this way. Culture is the lens by which we see life. Yeah? You think what is fashionable, it always comes through the lens of culture. What I'm wearing, I think is fashionable. But what I'm wearing now wasn't fashionable 10 years ago. It's only fashionable because culture says it's fashionable. And all you hipsters out there, you think you're being unique? No, you look like every other hipster. Your beard, which I'm envious of. Your skinny legs. That even chickens are envious of. <laughs> Those shoes that are too big for your feet. Everyone does that. You're not unique. It's culture. We expect things based on culture. We expect the wage based on culture. 
We expect um, uh, what our lives are supposed to be like based on culture. We base our happiness based on what culture tells us we should be happy about. Culture is invasive and is a lens by which we see our world. And culture can and does blind us from what God is doing. What Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians is that he's blinded. Imagine that culture is a blindfold. And I thought that I would be ready with blindfold, but I wasn't. So imagine. Imagine this is a blindfold, this is culture. I'm seeing everything through this lens. And in particular, what culture does is that it blinds us to what God is doing. Right? That's what Paul was talking about. He said that the uh, God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that we are able to see the light of God. Make sense? So what we are saying quite often, when we ask the question of if God is God, why doesn't he demonstrate it in a way that I can understand, is that we're saying, God, why don't you take the blindfold off so that I can see? That's literally what we are kind of asking. But this is how God works. This is how I've learned that God works. God's created mankind with something really, really valuable and special. That thing is called your will. Your will is what makes you you. Not your emotions, not necessarily your thoughts or your actions. Your will, what you choose, your ability to choose makes you human. What you choose overall gives you a pattern that then gives you a sense of identity, a sense of your character, your personality. But at the root of it is your will, your ability to choose. Now, if God has created us with this will, which we can see in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve were created, they could choose whatever they wanted. They could choose to follow God, or they could choose not to follow God. Unfortunately for all of us, they chose not to follow God, allowing sin into the world and all that kind of stuff. But what did God do? Did God say, will is too powerful for human beings? Did he say, I should take away will from human beings so that they can never let me down again? Which, by the way, I think is God's prerogative. If he wanted to, if he wanted to make life easier and me, take away human will. It's so much easier. So we can see that God actually values our will. He's created us with a will, and he knows that that will makes you you. If he takes that will away, he takes away what is in essence you. You stop being you. All he's got is some kind of robot that he can program to do whatever he wants. And he doesn't want that. He wants you. What uniquely makes you you, he wants you to continue to have your will. Now, if God has created us with a will, then he lets us choose whether we have our blindfold on or off. The action of taking the blindfold off is not an action that God takes responsibility over. He said, that's your part to play. The blindfold is your responsibility. But what does God do? Does God just leave us with a blindfold and have no understanding of what's going to take place? No, God does something really special. God shines light. Have you ever worn like those night, like blindfold things? What are they called? No, not night vision goggles. Like you know, you go on a plane and then you wear this thing. Eye mask. Eye mask. Is that it? Yeah. Okay. We'll call them that. Have you ever like put on eye masks and then a really bright light kind of flashes by? 
There's a desperation. There's a frustration. There's an anxiety. There's a sense that I don't know if I can make it tomorrow. Guess what? All of those effects are happening in our culture today. Today, why? Because the light brings darkness or God brings light. He brings light in a way that we don't always understand. He brings hope in a way that sometimes doesn't make sense. He does good, and sometimes we perceive it as bad. But that's because he's God, and he's so much bigger. And he does things that is beyond my comprehension. One thing I do have is this thing called faith. His ability to say, God, I know your character. I have seen that you are good. And so even though the situation doesn't look like what I want it to, I know that there's still stuff that you're doing that is good. I'm going to put myself in a position to continue to trust. I'm going to stand in the light and not in the darkness. And that's the choice that you make. And it's available to you today. Christians, I'm going to switch gears. I want to talk to Christians. I want to talk to born-again, spirit-filled, believing Christians. You know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. You love Jesus. And, and you also know that God has sent you on a mission to be a witness to all the world. You're, that you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. All that stuff. If that's you, I want to talk to you for five more minutes. I've got to talk really fast because it won't take me more than five minutes. <laughs> I had too much fun earlier. But notice something really important. Jesus said, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. While. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Now, Jesus is now seated on the right hand of God in heaven. He's not going to be the light to the world that he used to be anymore. So guess what? We are the light of the world. That's what Jesus said. Matthew 5, 14 to 16. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let the light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Guess what, Christian? The blindfolds that are around, uh, that are around the eyes of the people that you love, the people that you care about, stop asking for God to remove their blindfolds and start being the light. Stop asking for God to deal with their unbelief and their doubt and start to be who God has called you to be. To be the light. And so many of us, and when I was preparing this message and it got to this point, I was like, oh my gosh, God, forgive me because I am like a light that I hid under uh, uh, the covers. I'm a light that I've been trying to hide. I don't know if I'm good enough to be the Jesus light for someone else's life. I'm not Jesus. I'm broken. I've got issues. But then God continues to say, but that's exactly why I called you to be the light. You know, God put on my heart this line. Did you know that you are the greatest sign of God's love? You are the greatest sign of God's love. To the people in your life that are saying, why doesn't God show me that he loves me? You are meant to be that sign. Maybe not you individually, maybe it is all of us collectively. We can be a really, really bright, amazing light, but you're still supposed to be a part of that light. You're still supposed to be a part of that, that, that shining that is going to cause people to go, oh my gosh, there's actually something so much more that I haven't 
have my eyes open to, I want to see more. And they open their eyes, they take off the blindfold, and it's because you were the light that was shining. You are meant to be the greatest sign of God's love. Why? Because if I'm this broken, I'm this dysfunctional, if I've got nothing to offer God, but He still chooses to love me, what do you need to offer to Him? If even in my sin, even in my shame, even in everything that I've done wrong, God still says, I love you. Then maybe He can love anyone else. Maybe He will still choose to see value where I see none. Maybe He will choose to see where, where no one else can see it. So Christian, maybe you are still blinded to the fact that you have been accepted by Christ, that you have been made whole, that you now have the Holy Spirit, God, living inside of you, empowering you, giving you the ability to live the best life possible. And as part of that best life, we are meant to be light. We aren't living out our function if we push aside that function. If I use a toaster as my heater for the house, I'm going to have a very high power bill, and I'm still going to be cold. <laughs> but if I want toasted bread, if I want burnt, crispy bread, that's what I use a toaster for. Now, you're meant to be a light. You're not meant to be God. You're not meant to be all good and all loving. And you're still you, but you are light meant to get people's interest in God. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 13 to 14. It says, it is written, I will lead, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. I believe Therefore, I speak. How is your belief? If you're not speaking, I don't know if you're believing. If you don't believe that you've got the best life possible because of God, you will be speaking. You will be seeing all your friends and all your family, all the people in your life, and you're going like, why are you depressed? Why are you down? Why are you anxious? Why are you worried? Do you realize, hey, because they haven't seen the best of God, when you come to them, cares for them, you're going to look at all of them. Christian, heavy lift up. We've got a mission. We've got a world that is not liking our light. We've got a culture that is finding ways to shut off our light for people with eyes. We need to stop being imitations of ourselves. We need to stop trying to do things that we are not. Stop hiding who we really are. We are the light. The light that brings hope. The light that shows where light can be found. That's you. That's me. That's every single person. Sure, you do it your way. I'm not saying that you take this microphone and, and travel the world speaking. That's what I'm talking about. But you speak in your way. You speak into your spheres of Together, together, we can make a difference. And we can get the band up this morning.
And if we can do so the first thing by just standing, it be a little bit easier to get to everyone. Communion is a symbol. And we do it as a chip as often as we can. This is really special to us. It reminds us of what Jesus has done. It reminds us that Jesus did not, did not see his life as more important than ours. But he saw us as worth the sacrifice that he went through. Yeah. So he went to the cross. He died on our behalf so that we can have life. If you're asking the question, if God is God, then why doesn't he demonstrate it in a way that I can see? The greatest act that so many of us don't understand that he died on the cross for you and for me. It's the greatest demonstration of love that God would see his creation as worth dying for. As worth going to the extent that he did in order to bring us to a space of his love, a space of his relationship. So this morning as you hold how precious and you see the light that is in this little symbol that we hold in our hands. God saying, I love you so much. My love for you is safe. My love for you, it goes to the ends of the earth. My love for you is secure. You can't do anything to earn it. You can't do anything to reject it. The love is still there. It's unconditional. And it's for you. The choice is yours whether you want to partake in that love that God has already demonstrated for us. So this morning, why don't you take off the bread and why don't you take off the cup? And I pray that in your heart there's that sense of, God, I want, I want, I want to see you. I want to see you. I want to understand your love greater. I want to know that you are for me and not against me. I want to see how you are in and why don't you just leave us in this chorus? Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lyft, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.